sang songs to you. We've, we've spoken trust to you, Lord, that you are, you are Lord, whether life or death, you are our Lord. What a sweet time with Will as he reiterated those truths. Jesus is my Lord. He can come get me. What sweet truth from a dying man, Lord. Father, we thank you that we would all be prepared for death, Lord. We do not know our next days. Only you uh, have those ordained. Are we ready to meet our Savior? Uh, will we be caught unaware? Will our lives be in disarray, spiritually speaking, when he calls us? So, Lord, I pray that we would be walking with you through the word of God, led by the spirit of God, to be people ready to step into the presence of Jesus at any time. Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for each and every soul that you've called here today, Lord. We're so blessed to be called your church. The name of our church is far insuperior to who we are in Jesus Christ. We are your children. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for making us your children. Now, Lord, open our ears, Lord, and may we not be just hearers, but may we be doers as we hear the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I did a little research this week, and I looked into how many general contractors there are in Florida. I couldn't get a number, but there were thousands of them. General contractors, there's thousands of general contractors in Florida. But then I began to look at how many master builders are there, certified master builders. And they didn't tell me, so I went and <laughs> I did some more research. I actually went and called a man who's a master builder, and I said, can I meet with you? I'm teaching on a passage that it reminds us that we're part of the work of God. Uh, as master builders, we're to be building on the work of God. Can you help me understand what a master builder is? And he said, well, first of all, there's only less than two dozens of us in the whole entire state. And here's why they're master builders. He began to help me, and I read some on this as well. A master builder is meticulous from design to occupancy. He's meticulous. They're, they're, they're meticulous in details. Their name is on the building. They're, they are meticulous of how that's done. They have their hands on it from step to step. We are there engaged with every step. We don't leave details to somebody else because it's not their name on the building. They require a close relationship and a trusted relationship with their subcontractors. They work hard and to, to put out the very good product from home to home to home. And he told me that quality control is first and priority. He said, we avoid shortcuts. We do things according to the plan. We don't skip. <laughs> and shortcuts will ruin your reputation. We're detailed to precisionly care for the blueprint of what it says, how it, was uh, how it was designed and architecturally put together. We're careful to the blueprint. And then he said this, we are trusted by the owner of the home. I thought that was interesting. Trusted by the owner of the home. And so their quality is recognized in how they build. In our passage today, Paul is going to say, we build like wise master builders on a foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the language, as we'll see, brings you and I into the process that we too are part of the labor force of building the Lord Jesus Christ's church. Certainly Christ builds his church, but he includes us. 
And so today, God's word will challenge us about how our shared role in this building process comes about and what we are to do. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate builder of the church, but he enlists us. Do you understand that? He enlists us as his laborers. And we build according to his blueprint. I think it's one of the most difficult things we have going on in American church today. They've thrown out the blueprint. (laughs) No, we build according to the blueprint that God has given us, the word of God. So do you have your spiritual building materials ready to go? (laughs) Is the Bible and the tool belt of the word of God strapped around you ready? Do you know the Bible? You can't build without the Bible, right? You can't build without the master plan. Do you, do you have the Spirit of God free in your life? We talked about quenching His Spirit, and that would make it very difficult to know His leading. Do you pray and do you communicate with the owner? See, these are all ways that we become master builders. And then lastly, are you disciplined in your craft? Are you disciplined in your craft? Have you studied and know what God wants? Have you been discipled? Let me give you four thoughts out of this passage that Pastor Paul read to us today. This is a great passage I think will encourage you as you go out from here and be part of what God is doing. Number one, the spiritual farmer and builders joyfully working for the glory of God. There's a spiritual farmers among us and spiritual builders who are joyfully working for the glory of God. Of God. Look at verse 9. We ended with this last week, but we're going to start with it here again this morning. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Listen to this. God's building. Here we come across this term, fellow workers. Uh, in the Greek, it's a word that speaks of those who are supportive in their nature. They come along the master builder. They're laborers. They come along to help those. In verse 9, the The terms denote really um, a relationship probably between Paul and Barnabas and the other workers that were there. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. You notice that plural pronoun here. And Paul's telling him, look, Paulus and I have been here. I came first. I planted, Apollos watered. And we're not working by ourselves or, or for ourselves. We're working for God. And we are in his service. And we want you to join us. Be a part of what God is doing. Notice that we, he says, are fellow workers. There's an equality in this ministry of serving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard me say this many times from this pulpit. I do not have a greater position in Christianity. I have a different position than yours. God's called me to do something different than he's called you, but together, equally, we are part of God's building process as he gathers saints from every tribe, tongue, every nation, around the world to bring praise and glory to him. This is what we do. These are terms Paul loves to use. He speaks of fellow workers throughout these two letters to Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, he says this, not that we lorded over your faith, but then he says this, but are workers with you for your joy. See, Paul was always gathering people in. This is what good ministers of the gospel do. You don't try to go it alone. You're trying to gather people. Come on, let's do this together. Let's get discipled. Let's reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, he speaks of Titus. He says, my partner and fellow worker. I love Paul because he's always opening the door for others to serve alongside him, to get engaged 
build the way God wants to build. But the worker could never be called equal in the ministry of the gospel because the gospel is our, that's our blueprint, right? Um, we're mere men, we're instruments in the hands of God, but God has a plan for us, right? Paul, when he was first saved, I remember Ananias was extremely scared of him. And he, and he sent, Paul is blind, he sent him uh, into Damascus, into Ananias, and, and God said, I'm sending him to you. And, and Ananias begins to share his concern in Acts chapter 9, 13, and 14. It says, this man's done great harm to the way, to the church. But this is what God says about his now worker that he is going to enlist. As he spoke to Ananias in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 15, he said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. You know, that term is just not reserved for the apostles or pastors and elders and teachers. It's chosen, that word chosen is taught of everyone who is a believer. God hand-selects each and every believer and places them in the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as 1 Peter chapter 2 so clearly delineates. But he says, look, he's my instrument. He's my instrument. I got thinking about that a little bit. You know, some of us are a trowel, you know. Some think you're a hammer. <laughs> but, but we're all in the master's hands. We're all instruments. Um, we, we may be a tape measure. We may, we may be some dirt <laughs> that the foundation's built. On. I, we're all part of this. God has done this all to bear the name of God's glory. Notice back in verse 9, it says, you are God's field, God's building. Now notice he switches pronouns. He went from we, our fellow workers, to you. So now he's putting the emphasis on the believer in Corinth, on the believer here at Riverbend as well. And in this verse, Paul's switching from the ministers to the people. Now Paul is saying that we work for God. Our job is to cultivate spiritual growth in the lives of Corinthians. And you now are God's field. We're part of what you're doing. I believe there's somewhat maybe even a small rebuke here in this little verse here. The apostles reminding them that you don't belong to the fallen world that we've been talking about, that, that fallen worldly wisdom. You actually are God's field. You are God's building. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we trudge around and our feet get dirty with the thoughts of the world. They need to be washed and we need to be reminded who we belong to. And so the apostle here used imagery, right? He's using imagery to help us understand this beautiful thing that God's doing. He's planted us in a field. He's growing us. He's producing fruit in our life by the work of the Spirit as we reject the world's philosophy and turn to God's Word. And so often Paul chooses things that, that were very clear in their mind, right? All had seen planting and agriculture, but all had also seen building. Corinth was a booming town. And they would relate with this. And so Paul says, look, here's an imagery to help you understand. We are God's building. He has created a place that all of us set in the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a Greek word that he uses over and over in different forms in here called oikos, where we get the word house or home. And there's different forms of that word depending on presupposition prefixes and suffixes that help us understand. And so they're all around this idea that God is building up a house, that he's building up a place where people grow educationally. They're, they're all built on this cornerstone. 
Paul loves this term. He, in fact, I think he uses building more than anybody else. In Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, he says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, now listen to this, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. You're God's household. You, you belong to his house. You're, you're part of the building. You're part of the people that fill the house. It's such imagery, isn't it? Then he says this, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And you go, well, I thought Jesus Christ was the foundation. Built on the foundational teachings of what the apostles and prophets taught. They taught Jesus Christ was the cornerstone. So Paul goes on, Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone, right? And it says, and the whole building, the whole building being fitted together, is growing into the holy temple of God. Isn't that beautiful? You and I, God is fitting us together to make us into his holy temple. He often describes a spiritual uh, church, the life of us, as a building being erected for his glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, listen to this. Therefore, encourage one another, and here's oikos again, and build up one another. Did you build anybody up this week? Who did you talk to this week? Who did you spend time to encourage with the word of God, with truth? Are you building up? That's the whole idea. We're part of this building, and yet we're also building up one another. Colossians 2, 2, verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. Our faith is established, the Bible says. And we're instructed to do this with gratitude, being built up. Second thought, the master builder and the perfect foundation of Jesus Christ. Look what the text says with me in verse 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I lay a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one, can be, no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, verse 10 begins to show this acknowledgement that Paul gives for the gift of God's grace. And listen, Paul understood that he was never part of the original 12. And there are times even this church, Corinth church, looked down on Paul because he wasn't part of the original 12. But he was assured and he knew that by the grace of God, that God had granted him not only salvation, which was tremendous work of his grace, but he granted him his position. Notice the verb given there. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. Uh, Didomai is the Greek word there. It is in passive, means he received it. Active is often in, in the original language something we go and do. We share the gospel, we build, we, we're part of something. But passives are something something does to me. And, and Paul says, I didn't deserve this. It was something outside of me. God gave me this grace. Boy, if we can never forget that, if we can never forget that the grace that we have was a gift from God, knowing we didn't deserve it, that keeps you humble, pliable, and ready to be a part of the building of God and his work. Paul understood this, and you hear it in language so often he speaks. Later on, we'll get to chapter 15, verse 8, and he says this, after speaking of Christ's appearance of his resurrection, he says, I was last of all. Appeared to Cephas and others of the 12, and and so more, and then 500, and he says, the last 
last of all myself. And he says this, isn't it interesting? He goes, as one untimely born. Maybe in Paul's mind, he, he maybe said, boy, I wish I would have been born. I wish I would have been a disciple that walked with Jesus. It's hard to understand what exactly he meant. There's a lot of thoughts on that, on that verse. But I tend to believe he said, boy, untimely born. I wish I'd have been born. I wish I'd have been there three years with Jesus and walked with him and understood all that he said. And then he adds this, but he also appeared to me. He sees himself as a last. He sees himself as untimely born, but he has this great gratitude that God didn't forget him, but shared his grace upon him. So Paul's calling, his, his, his calling, he considers his calling a divine act of God. Listen, Christian, if you're truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is a divine act of God. It is incapable on our own, in our depravity, to somehow make our way to God. <laughs> Everything in us is corrupted. Our will is corrupted. Our desires are corrupted by sin. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. So it is the divine act of God to save you. And then think farther about this. It's the divine act of God that you're here. Not only did he save you, but he put you in a ministry where we participate together to actively build the kingdom of God together. That's all done by the grace of God. When you come to church on, on the morning, I know it's difficult. Um, it's harder to get up on Sundays for some reason. For My life's a little different probably than yours, but why are you so much tired on Sundays than on Saturdays? <laughs> I don't know. It's our, it's our flesh. But I want you to think this. God, I'm going to church today because of your grace. Well, boy, that would change kind of the family dynamics in the minivan. We're going to church today to be a part of the building of God because of your grace. Oh, we would think so different about church. And we would begin to express our thankfulness to God. And church would not be duty, it would be delight. I think there's too many people attend church around the world out of duty hoping God will bless my business. I better go punch my card to make sure I show up. I'll maybe give a little money. Oh, no. This is a pure life of grace, isn't it? Attend because of grace. Give because of grace. Worship because of grace. Paul saw all that he did was centered around the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what this grace does for him, right? He, he attributes the grace of God to his spiritual position, and he calls himself, he goes, I'm a wise master builder. What a turn. The Greek word for master builder, we get our English word architect from it. And in the ancient world, often the architect was the master builder. And he supervised subcontractors and, and made all that work. He designed the building. He, he, he was part of it. He worked on it. He gathered people. He had an intimate role with those subcontractors and Paul says, I'm a, my, a wise master builder. And ultimately, this master builder is responsible to the owner of the building. It's not his building. It's not even his idea. It's God's. And so this wise, the way he's wise is because he knows it's not his. Unwise builders don't care about the owner in a sense. They're trying to knock something out and get to the next thing and then knock another one out and get to another one. Oh, not a wise master builder. Paul says, it's not ours. We're building and working for someone else. But notice, he is a wise, skillful master builder. 
And I, and I think why that wise is there, because Paul's trying to teach us that he pen, painstakingly studies the master blueprint and builds according to the master's plan. So that's what makes him unique. He isn't going off script. He isn't tearing pages out and going, well, I don't really think they need that bathroom. We don't have any genders anymore anyway. <laughs> that was funny. You should have laughed at that. No, he does things God's way. See, that's why he's wise, master builder. He, he does things God's way. He believes the Bible. He believes the book. He said, this was the way we're going to get. He knows a header goes there. He knows plumbing has to be done here, electricity. And he knows how it goes together. And he's a wise man. And he's watching over this for the glory of God. Notice, look back here at verse 10 again. The, like the wise master builder, I lay a foundation and another builds on it. Notice that this master builder is building on a permanent foundation. And the foundation is permanent. It's not only for his building, but notice in the text, for others to come along behind him and build as well. Paul isn't saying, well, hey, this is my deal. You guys get your own building. <laughs> no, he says, look, I'm building on something permanent, Jesus Christ. The Christian faith is never going to be built on anything else than Jesus Christ. They try. All other religions deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they build on sand. True Christianity builds on Jesus Christ as the solid, precious foundation that is permanent and will not change. And we are unashamed of that. Because if we were ashamed of that, we could stamp people's passport for hell. I mean, it is serious when we talk about this foundation of Jesus Christ. And so we realize that we are building on what others come behind. I was thinking just this morning as we are singing, thinking about the generations that are in this room, a lot of crossroaders because their class is next, next, um, next hour and, and, and children and so forth, and thinking, God, take our crossroaders, our, our children down the hall that are promoting, and may they build even better than you and I. And I think we've seen that down through the road. Yes, the church has got its problems and stuff, but look how we continue to hold to what the apostles taught. We're building on the same structure. We're not coming up to something new that, that Paul's talking about. I, I find so much encouraging that. Well, what if we had to do something new? Where would we get our instruction from? What, what would we do? Well, I don't know. We're, gonna, we're out there on our own on this one. No, no. We go right to the blueprint that Apostle Paul was building on. And those after us will build the same young men in here. Who's going to replace me? Who's going to be the teaching pastor? Who's going to plant the next church? Who are the next godly marriages in this room? Who are the next godly singles in this room? Who carries the next tool belt of Christ in his word, ready to be a part of that? Or has the world got a hold of you and you're going to do that first? See, these are questions we have to answer. But the master builder, the wise master builder, see, he draws himself to others. He, he draws in others. He wants others to be a part of this. He does not want to build alone. He doesn't want his own ministry up and above others. He wants to be among the flock. He wants to work with the flock. He wants to be a part of a group of people dedicated to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Notice it says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. 
See, I think here Paul is challenging the builders to build biblically, have, I would say something like this, with biblical craftsmanship. My brother Steve is a, is a um, trim. He does trim. That's all he does. Crown molding, chair radles, all that stuff. And I, and I often talk to him because he only uses wood. He, he's, he's meticulous in what he does. And he says, oh, Scott, it's just amazing. You go into a house and some guy's slapped up MDF and ends or don't meet. And, you know, the homeowner doesn't see it till later. And they're laying on their couch going, man, that's terrible looking. He's a craftsman. When you get around him and watch him make his cuts and watch him put seams together, they're, they're all, you can't find them once they're up. That's the kind of people we should be with the Bible. Biblical craftsmanship. Caring about the details. Not being vague on marriage or singleness or our relationship to the world. We should be craftsmen. Paul was always doing this. He was part of this, challenging people to grow. He was always setting an example. He would say things like, follow my example as I follow Christ. Come on. He told Timothy to, to be one who heard the things from him and, and had witnessed many things, but to entrust those to faithful men who will teach others. It's, there's, a, there's, in a sense, a succession of men who come along, who preach the word, who hold to the biblical truth of God's word. Look at verse 11 with me. No one, can lay a foundation, no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now Paul turns his attention to the foundation of the building, for without a solid foundation, the house will crumble. You've all heard of people who bought bad houses and the foundation was bad? Oh my goodness, is that a mess. You know how much money and work goes into fixing a foundation? It's a disaster. So he, now he turns his attention to this foundation. And God had sent Paul into this pagan city of Corinth where he laid a foundation in Jesus Christ. He was unashamed. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Spirit's help. You see that in chapter 2. And as he preached, he did not proclaim that you can be part of this through your bloodlines and your self-righteousness. He did not proclaim that salvation was through the will of man. He did not proclaim that salvation came through their own efforts and their own works. He proclaimed that salvation came through Christ alone. That was the foundation he left in Corinth. Listen, it isn't hard to study his life, and you see Paul do this. He preaches his perfect life in Christ. He preaches the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He preaches his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He preaches his forgiveness, his ability to reconcile and restore all people to right faith in him. He preaches that Jesus was the promised one that the scriptures were all pointing to from the beginning. He is the everlasting foundation, the perfect cornerstone. He was the true minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he laid in Corinth. And what he isn't concerned about now is they're now looking at a different foundation. They're looking at worldly wisdom and how they can maybe combine or integrate, might be a good word, the foundation of Jesus Christ and the world's philosophy. And I think there's a strong warning here. Notice he uses a negative to start it. No one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid in Jesus Christ. So this comes on the heels of verse 10 that he says, look, be careful what you're doing. Verse 10 says, be careful how you build. I think Paul is beginning to alert the laborers here, alert them that God himself will examine our work. <laughs> the ultimate master builder, Jesus Christ, is coming to examine this. Paul had received the gospel from Jesus himself. Do you know that? 
You know, he wished he was probably with the 12, untimely one. But when Paul got saved, he was driven out into the wilderness. You know this, for three years. He did seminary with Jesus for three years. Amazing. And he had faithfully proclaimed both, not just Gentiles, but to Jews that were in Corinth. And the gospel foundation was laid down, and it was to be cherished, and it was to be handled exactly as God intended. It was a sacred deposit. Those are the terms they use. Jude, verse 3, says it this way. I felt it necessary to write to you, appeal to you, that you would contend earnestly for the faith, which was once, handed, which, excuse me, was once and for all handed down to the saints. Contend for it. See, they, they stopped contending for the faith. They started thinking, well, you know, the philosophers are saying this about this and that. They stopped contending for the faith. The world's wisdom was robbing them from truth. We see this today with CRT and social justice movements, a false gospel. As much as we understand the blight on our nation of slavery and abortion, and I would run those two together... The movement that is called CRT and social justice is robbing, trying to rob God of a pure gospel. That's what's happening within Christianity, let alone what the world's doing. And so we got to make sure we're understanding that. we got to understand that there's a God who forgives and creates brothers and sisters no matter what their skin color is, what their background is, what their social economics are. He brings us together, and the church should know that more than ever. And that's all done through the what? The gospel. So we love the gospel. It fixes these problems, doesn't it? should be no one who changes the gospel, who messes with it, because they won't escape the wrath of God. They won't escape it. Hey, we're built on Christ. We're building on Christ here. This is our job. Third thought here. The biblical quality of the builder's work will be inspected and revealed by the blazing fire of God's own glory. I know that's a long one, but I want you to listen to that again. The biblical quality of the builder's work will be inspected and revealed by the blazing fire of God's own glory. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Now, if a man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Well, notice right in verse 12, it says, if if any man or anybody, it's a it's a neutered phrase there, so it's so if anyone, right, includes all persons who's actively says they're participating in the building of of the church of Jesus Christ, your fellow laboring in us on the foundation of Christ, if every one of those is charging all of us in this way, every believer, that we are building on this, there is going to become a a test of what we're doing with it. And notice a building on the foundation. Not adding to it, not, not rebuilding the foundation, but building on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Notice he says, the testing will come and there's, Several different things that we see here. One is gold, silver, and precious stones, right? And then there's another group here. You could really put a slash there. Wood, hay, or straw. You might say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let me make this statement. I'm going to read this right out of my notes because I thought hard about this. 
What I, believe, what I believe Paul is telling us is that the structure of the building must match the structure of the foundation. Let me say that again. The structure of the building must match the structure of the foundation. We build with perfect instruction from God's word, not on inferior teaching of fallible, fallen human wisdom. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 2 says that's precious to God. And he says God, Jesus Christ was precious to him and he chose him and made him the foundation. And then it says you also, he also chose. So he says we too are precious stones that God selects and puts in the family, that, excuse me, the house of God and builds us up. And so we don't want to build a house that's inferior to the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the house of God should reflect the Son of God. Right? I think the difference is of taking the the foundation of the Son of God and putting a shack on it. I think that's maybe the state of some churches. They've taken the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and they've built a shanty on it. They have rejected His Word in many areas starting with creationism and working its all the way to the return of Christ. They've done what they've wanted to do. They took the beautiful foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and they built a shack on it. This is what I think he's after. And I think the labor's choice of materials and the labor's effort is now tested to see if it matches the foundation. And you say, well, Scott, how do I do that? I'm, I'm fallible. Yeah, but this isn't. See, he he takes fallible people, but gives us an infallible document, blueprint of how to build so the church of Christ has the possibility to match its foundation. Does that make sense? This is what I think he's doing here. In other words, Paul is giving imagery here that describes those who live according to the word of God, who apply it to their lives daily and are used by God to grow their faith and edify one another and build with other believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ. These precious stones represent sound doctrine, they represent accurate preaching, and they represent lives who live for Jesus from their heart. That's what those represent. They represent those truths. And so these precious building materials coincide with a beautiful foundation of Jesus Christ. But there is a second set of building materials here, isn't there? They're called wood, hay, and straw. And what they represent is man-centered, shallow, false view in a lot of ways of Christianity. They cater to human wisdom. They're more afraid of the world than they are God. And so what they end up doing is building a shack on this beautiful foundation of Jesus Christ. And judgment's coming. And what do you think is going to burn up? Precious stones or hay? I've had a couple of hay fires. (laughs) They're not fun when your whole haystack goes up. You can't stop it. And at the end, there's just a pile of ash. And I think that's what he's beginning to talk about. Look at verse 13. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. 
See, Paul's conclusion is that the condition of the laborer's work will become evident. The master refiner's fire is coming. I noticed a future tinge to it. You see, this is future tense, isn't it? The judgment of God comes to inspect the hearts of the builders. To see if our goal was to build on Christ's foundation or were we starting a new little uh, add-on of ourselves. Because <laughs> we didn't like what he was doing. Matthew chapter 7, right at the end of that great sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes on the house is built on what? Sand and the rock. And, and it's, a, it's a bit different because they're talking about an unsaved person and a saved person. And in that story, you realize a parable that Jesus tells that, that the houses look very similar. You can't really see difference between the houses. It's what's under the skirt of the house. There's no foundation. There, the same fire hits, and that's judgment of whether they're lost or saved, right? There's total destruction. Nothing's left. When judgment hits those houses, one's standing because it's on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The other one is totally oblivion. This is a little different. I think he's talking about Christians. I think he's talking about what we did in vain or what we did for the Lord. The foundation's still there, and you'll see that there is a smoky presence within heaven, and maybe that dear brother or sister smells like smoke, but God brings them through it because he's pure gracious. But he's testing what we're doing after salvation. What we're doing with this great work. What we're doing with the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says, for the day will show it. In verse 13, the day will show it. Well, certainly this is a reference to, to the return of Christ, right? When God promises that the, the work of his builders will be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 says this, when the Lord Jesus will reveal, talking about his coming, will reveal from heaven with his mighty angels, and it says this, in flaming fire, <laughs> Coming back. You know, parable of talents. What's he going to find? What would you do with what God gave you? Well, I knew you were shrewd and mean, and so I just buried your talent in the sand. I mean, that, those parables were to teach us that God has given us this great gift. We should invest that. We should be part of his program. So the master's going to check the quality of the laborer's work. You know, quality control is really good. You know, if you've gotten a house built, you better hope that your builder is doing quality checks, right? Hey, did you check on the framing? No, I never got around it. Those guys will be fine. <laughs> Anybody did a compression check on the concrete? Ah, no, you know, we take a few shortcuts, but it all works out here. <laughs> I, I mean, you hear builders say this, and I've had guys tell me. This is what happens. But notice... It says, because it is to be revealed with fire, and fire, fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. You say, well, how can this be, or is this possible? Well, yes, it's true, and, and it encourages us to work hard. We, we, want, our, we want what we do to be, to be rewarded for the glory of God. And so the master builder, the Lord Jesus Christ... Um, is coming. And so this builder, you, myself, we, we're, we're to be working for our best for him. We're to be working off of his plan that he laid down, building upon the Lord Jesus Christ, because in the end, there's either going to be a reward or smoke. One of the two. And, and many, many theologians tie in this reward with tossing back to the Lord. Hmm. There's a thought. I got nothing but smoke. 
to give back to you. I didn't serve you from my heart many times. See, there, clearly there's a testing here to determine where these things came from. It's determine how the believer will be rewarded in the eternal state. And it looks into our heart. And so the Apostle Paul has been giving the answers all along to know the validity of your labor. He's been trying to tell us that. Was your work accomplished through faith in Jesus Christ? He's asking that question over and over. Did you build according to the master plan, the word of God? Or did you go to human wisdom to try to figure out your issues in this life? Did you rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the mind of Christ? Or did you live in sin and squench Squelch the, the, the Spirit of God in your life. Were you building in obedience to Christ with a humble spirit of thanksgiving? See, there's either going to be a great reward or a puff of smoke. One of the two. Forethought, and lastly here, the reward of faithful service or a smoking revelation of the grace of God. <laughs> I worded this carefully because I took it out of the text. The reward of a faithful service or a smoking revelation of the grace of God. What's unique about this person, though their works, the things they did for the Lord, were not from their heart and they burn up, it is the grace of God that brings them into heaven. Notice verses 14 through 15. If anyone's work, which he has built on, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Well, Paul does something unique here in the end of this kind of discourse. In verse 16, he um, begins with another subject, and we'll finish that out next week. But he gives two what we call conditional statements or conditional sentences. The first is we find here, if any man's work which he has built on remains. That is the conditional statement, right? It, 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 emphasizes, it emphasizes on permanent, right? Right? There's a permanency to it. You can see that. It remains. It's permanent. It stayed. It went through the test. It went through the fire and was even better because it was refined by the refiner's fire. That's the idea here. So it means that the heart of the builder, you or I, who are building on this foundation of Jesus Christ, the result of our labor is that God is glorified in his kingdom, in his building, because he led us by his grace to work. And because the foundation of Jesus Christ is priceless, the building now matches it and the reward is given. And of course, this is only accomplished because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is precious. It's like gold and silver. And that, that was the main source of all of our building materials was the gospel. But Paul's conclusion to this first conditional sentence is in interesting. It, it, it talks about the faithful builder. Notice this, will receive a reward. It's very similar to verse 8. In verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, but each one receives his own reward according to his labor. So he's not left that theme. There's a reward for serving the Lord, and the gospel is our motivation. The Lord is our judge. Just look across the page at chapter 4, verse 5, as Paul is being challenged over his apostleship, how he responds. Verse 5, he says of chapter 4, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before time. He's actually talking about himself. They're passing judgment on him. But wait until the Lord comes. Now look, look what will happen when he comes. 
who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose, uh uh-oh, look at this, the motives of men's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Oh, see, God and the scriptures are never separated. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, 12, and 13 that the word of God can cut deep, go right to the marrow. It it fillets is the idea. It fillets us out in front of God. Here the Bible tells us that God has the ability to look right into not only our heart, but the motives of the heart. Only a sovereign God can do that. And he rewards according to that. So the faithful Christian, the builder who labors according to God's blueprint, he receives, she receives, they receive reward. What a beautiful thing to be rewarded by the wise master builder of all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But look at verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Here we find the second conditional phrase or statement or sentence here. And this one's sad. This one's sad. I As I studied this, my heart was heavy for my own life as I looked back and thought of things I did in vain that I didn't do from my heart. I I thought about others that drift away from the church that were once serving him and seemed to be on fire for the Lord but drift away and never returned. It's certainly one thing to go through some carnality, but the Bible, as we learned last week, carnality is short-lived for a true believer. We return but it's heavy, isn't it? Sadness. See, there will be a raging fire that destroys all combustible materials, is what Paul is saying here. And that strongly points to the man-centered works that are like wood, hay, and straw during a refiner's fire. And just, it's not hard to understand this, folks. Unlike the refiner's fire and the precious metals, these just consume faithless works in their total loss. There's total loss. Because we did not do things for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the worker did not build with the glorious gospel. Instead, he, he or she engaged in man-centered building. They end up with a rickety shed on the foundation of the glorious Jesus Christ. See, it's a clear warning here to us, verse 15 is, to all God's labors, to me as a pastor teacher, to you uh, as one that in equality has a different role, whatever that role God has given you, it's a warning to us not to abuse the grace of God, to let that motivate us, to, be, to know that we're not working on our house, we're working on the master's house. Don't deviate from the plan. Don't think you got something better figured out. I talked to too many people caught up in this new movement of wanting to be Christian, but yet wanting to embrace all these things that the Bible clearly rejects. You don't understand our generation, they tell me. And so you don't understand our God. And I love you enough to tell you to get back to the Word of God and do things His way, or you will suffer great loss. So we have to be loving and bold enough to, do, to use the hammer of truth held in a person's hand that is humble 
and broken because they know they themselves have not been perfect in their building. But there is a point where we have to say, oh, friend, oh, one who claims Jesus Christ, build his way. This is not a verse on purgatory. This is a verse the Catholic Church uses often to try to teach purgatory, which is a blasphemous teaching. And you say, well, why is it blasphemous? Because it takes the salvation of man out of the hand of God. And here on earth, you do all these steps in order to get to God. You do these steps. You do all this to gain this. And then even in the afterlife, you do something to try to get free of your sins. You rob God. This is just blasphemous. And it's unbelievable how much they use this verse. This has nothing to do with that. This is imagery that the Apostle Paul is using. This is word pictures to help us as children of God to run this race right. And he's giving us a warning how to escape the flames of judgment of our works. I don't think, if you're a believer in here in Jesus Christ, I don't think you want to be in heaven and go, poof. (laughs) I don't think any, any of us want that, Right? Will just stepped into the arms of Jesus just less than 24 hours ago. He died at 11.25 yesterday. And, and, and I'm sure Will said, would, would tell you, I want to I re, see the rewards of Christ because I want to honor him with that. See, this statement just reminds us that God is worth building for He's worth doing his way, things his way. Notice, that, however, the laborer, though, here in this particular text, doesn't lose salvation, and that's because he never gained it his way. This is an incredible statement about someone who God put grace on their life. They're in heaven because of grace. Their efforts on this world were in vain, but God just purely shows grace. I don't know how you could get around this. He says, if a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, meaning loss of reward, loss of worship to God as he stands in his presence. But he himself, double pronoun to to say this guy, this woman, this person, and then this phrase, you can't get around it, will be saved. Get so through us through fire. I would beg you, brothers and sisters of Riverbend Church, don't be this guy. Because <laughs> there's people who say, well, I'm just one of the guys, I'm going to get in by the skin of my teeth. The older generation used to use that term. I'm not sure what it means. But I know it's thin. <laughs> I've had people tell me that. I go, you really want to go into the eternal kingdom of God with smoke on your jacket? That's your goal. That's how you think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I think this is a warning, brothers and sisters. And I think it shows just the pure grace of God who brings a person in. All he has left is a smoky smell to him. On that day of reward, his self-centered efforts were burned away. But God has a biblical standard. He has a master plan. He has effort. He shows us how to put right biblical from our heart effort so we don't suffer great loss. And so let us not be careless and egotistic. I think it's egotistic to come to God and say, I don't agree with that. (laughs) Oh, well, that's your interpretation. All right. What's yours? And how did you come to it? 
What was your hermeneutic? How did you get to know this? That's your interpretation of it. And most of the time they don't. It's their personal opinion. So Paul wants to warn the church. He warned the church. Almost in every passage, he, he warns the church of, of, of doing things from self-ambition. And that in the end, you won't have anything left. So let me close with just some questions here. What field are you working in? Last week we said stay in your row. Keep planting, keep watering. Stay in the road God has put you in. Be faithful. Go, my road is long. It's longer than that other person. I didn't pick your row. <laughs> God did. Keep hoeing. Keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be unashamed of the gospel and keep going. What part of the building have you been sent to work on? You might be hearing, you go, yeah, I got stuck with the plumbing. Children's ministry. <laughs> or whatever, right? I changed diapers. I'm making a connection there. <laughs> then change diapers for the glory of God. I mean, think about it. What part of the building are you? Or are you just taking up a seat? <laughs> well, I'm here watching everybody else build. I don't give. I don't help. I don't serve. I'm just in the way. <laughs> now, look, be careful. Pastor Scott loves you. <laughs> and I say that thing with love. But I, do you got anything in your hand? You got a tape measure to hand another guy or gal? It's It's something. What are you doing? When you hear their needs help somewhere, when you, need, you hear they need help in choirs and helping kids and cleaning churches and helping in the front office or wherever it is, when you hear you, there's need in the church, what do you do? Well, I hope that other guy does that. What fruit is being produced in your life? What design part of the building are you working on? Will you have reward or will you have smoke? I asked that question of myself this week. Will you? Father, thank you for this passage. It is fairly challenging, Lord. This type of teaching, this type of direct instruction that we find often in the Word of God is not appreciated in the world. It's looked at as judgmental and unfair and uh, unkind and so forth, Lord. But that's not the way you speak to us, Lord. You speak directly with a God who loves us. You want us to be engaged, Lord. It is not hard to see this passage and realize that you desire to reward us for our labor for you. You want to reward your children. What father, what good father would not want to reward their children? And so we see that, Lord. But at the same time, Lord, there's an admonishment here to check our hearts, check our motives, check why we're doing what we're doing. Lord, we don't want to be all smoky in heaven. We want to reward you. We want to cast beautiful treasures back to you because you're so worthy of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us where rebuke is needed, Lord, and admonishment, that that would hit our hearts today. And where praise is due, may we give it to you. Pray this all in your precious Son, who is the foundation of all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for a closing benediction?